to the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Clare. Welcome to yet another edition of the Lions of Liberty podcast, or Lions of Liberty Radio, for those of you listening over at Daily Paul Radio, where you can hear this show every single Friday night at 7 p.m. Eastern. And I gotta say, it's good to be back here in the Lions of Liberty studios. Yes, I know you've had a show every single week, but I've got a little secret. I've actually been out of the country for the past several weeks. I took an amazing trip to Thailand with my lovely girlfriend. A much-needed break from the hustle and bustle out here in Los Angeles. And look, even us Liberty guys, maybe especially us Liberty guys, sometimes we got to kind of turn the brain off now and then. Just unwind and get away from everything. Recharge those batteries. But through podcast magic, I was still able, along with the help of my amazing audio editor, John Dobbert, who, as well as LionsofLiberty.com associate editor, and occasional podcast guest Brian McWilliams. I know him. Combined to ensure that your weekly podcast continued even in my absence. <laughs> Quiet. Even when I was thousands of miles away. We will now pause for station identification. This is N-U-T-S. Wow. And look, as much as I love the beach, amazing beaches in Thailand, by the way, as much as I love $10 massages. I ought to beat your brains and I think I will. <laughs> It is good to be back home. And no matter where you come from, whatever your home is, when you leave a comfortable environment, you know, what we call home, you never feel quite right until you get back. You know, I live here in Los Angeles. It wasn't always my home. I grew up on the East Coast. I was raised out in Buffalo, New York, and then in Connecticut. Went to school at Penn State. Was always an East Coast guy. Used to all those, you know, Eight-foot snowstorms and everything. You know, but about ten years ago, I decided it was time to make a change. I wanted to work in the TV industry, and my options are basically, if you want to do anything of significance, New York or Los Angeles. And like I said, those eight-foot snowstorms, they kind of, they were kind of the deciding factor. Winter holds enough reasons we become all Because, hey, I can come out here. We run and hide from and the winter is when it's 50 degrees, and, and now I'm freezing when it's 50 degrees. So it's a little more temperate of an environment. It's really become my home over the past decade or so, to the point that, you know, when I go visit family and friends in Connecticut or back east, I don't feel like I'm visiting home anymore. I feel like I'm just visiting friends and family. And then when I come back here, this is where I feel that, you know, is my home. You're the way that I go. You're the sun. So our definition of home can travel with us. But there's always that place that comforts us. Now that's, that's what home is. And my guest today is someone that also similarly left his original home. He emigrated a little bit further than I did, all the way over from Great Britain. He is the founder and publisher of WatchingAmerica.com, a great website that translates articles about the United States from all over the world. He is a columnist for the Huffington Post. 
He is also the founder of the Blue Republicans. And we'll discuss just what that is today. And he is now the host of his own radio show. Joining me on the Daily Paul radio lineup, Robin Kerner. Welcome to the Lions of Liberty podcast. Thanks a lot, Mark. Good to be with you. Well, thanks for coming on today, Robin. You know, why don't you just kind of introduce yourself to people that might not be familiar with your work? What kind of brought you here to the United States? Obviously, some people might be able to tell from your accent that you're originally from Great Britain. So yeah. what, brought, what brought you over here originally and what got you involved you know, with kind of politics, liberty movement, all that good stuff? Well, originally, like if you go back far enough, I was chasing a woman. Isn't that always well, the reason? Of course. That's why we do anything, <laughs> isn't it? That's right. That's right. But the love affair with her didn't work out, but the love affair with America did. So I decided some years later to try to immigrate because I didn't have corporate sponsorship or any family here or being British, the ability to claim asylum. A number of immigration attorneys told me there was no way I could get in legally. And when lots of people tell me I can't do something, I want to do it. So that's the other reason why I came to America. But now I know that I'm really here to be writing about, you know, the sublime crystallization that is the American Constitution and to be active in getting America to appreciate exactly what it has in that culmination of a thousand year tradition of liberty that really started in, you know, the country where I was born and has reached in some ways a kind of pinnacle in 1776. And, uh, you know, I don't want to come too far down the other side which is what America has been doing. So I see my job as basically giving an account of U.S. politics that is going to help people get out of this kind of republicrat, you know, the duopolistic box that has caused the country to, you know, end up where it has. I'm a writer on the one hand, and I'm also an activist on the other hand. And the, the activism thing is under the auspices of Blue Republican, which you kindly mentioned. And I write on the Huffington Post and Daily Paul and various websites, the Ben Swan, etc. Let's take it back before you even got started with Huffington Post and Blue Republican and all that. Tell us a little bit about WatchingAmerica.com. What inspired you to start that way? Well, that was actually before I had any interest in politics, strangely enough. I was in California for a while and I had a friend. She was retired, but she had been a very successful fundraiser for the Republicans in California back in the day. And she was very politically astute, very aware. She, you know, read the newspapers and she didn't just stick to her politics. She was a very smart woman. And a friend of mine, we were having a conversation one day about the run up to the Iraq war. And I was talking about how it was that the entire rest of the planet had a different view of the second war in Iraq than the Americans did. And given how smart and informed she was, I was surprised at how much she was surprised about what I was telling her, right? About America sees it this way and the rest of the world sees it completely differently, um, including me at that time. We had this conversation and out of this, I thought, well, yeah, I guess I'm not really surprised that she's so surprised because American media are so derelict in actually presenting world news. Everything is so heavily filtered through this America-centric paradigm. Well, America's the best. I mean, what else is there to talk about? <laughs> Um, if she liked the idea of a kind of drudge report, but instead of, you know, nonsense headlines about what Hollywood people and sportsmen are doing, it actually was foreign news and opinion all about the U.S., right? So opinion from the rest of the world, but focused on the U.S. to give Americans 
a sense of how the rest of the world perceives America, bearing in mind, of course, that in many instances, non-Americans are more affected by American decisions and policy than are Americans themselves, especially when it comes to foreign policy. She really liked that idea. Now, she was politically conservative, so I went a couple of houses down the street to another friend of hers, to a raving lefty friend of hers, and he really liked the idea too. So I thought, well, you know, I, <laughs> this guy on the left, this lady on the right, both like this idea. So I called a friend of mine, as was at the time, said, you know, I've got this idea. Do you want to help me with it? And we started building the website. It was very primitive back then. That was the end of 04, beginning of 05. So it's kind of very much in its second incarnation now. But yeah, so we, watching America finds and translates foreign opinion about the US for the benefit of Americans and other English speaking people. So Dick, working on watching America and starting that website, did that in any way open your political mind? I traveled a bit in my day. I spent a semester over in England in college about 10 years ago, and I've done some traveling through Central and South America. Really, a lot of it was before I was even politically astute on my own, but it helped to show me that there are other ways of thinking and that there are people all over the world that have completely different perceptions than a lot of the ones were given here. So did, did working on that get the wheels turning for you a little bit? I think it did. I mean, I think it led me to start researching a little bit into what America was supposed to be and how far it is from what it was supposed to be. I think it was doing that that I stumbled across some, a video by Peter Schiff and I heard him talking about, you know, economics and Austrian economics. And so then I Wikipedia'd that and discovered this whole liberty canon. And that was what opened my eyes. So, yeah, I think so. I think so. It certainly got me really aware of the importance of being able to see yourselves and your country from the other guy's point of view. Sure, because we get all of our news from the American point of view, and a lot of Americans see America as the land of the free, the home of the brave, you know, the whole kind of picture we're painted as, and I think, ideal-wise, that is a lot of what the country was founded upon, but, you know, a big reason we may not realize that we've fallen far away from that is that we are, in many ways, sheltered, even within the America, we're sheltered within our news, you know. Luckily, that's changing with the rise of social media and all that, but most people do not have that concept of what is going on outside of America and how maybe those perceptions aren't quite the same for people that are seeing the actions of the United States government from a different point of view, from maybe the other end of the gun, so to speak. But, and it doesn't even matter whether the other guy's perception is right or wrong. The fact is, right. if you do something to somebody, how they perceive what is done to them is going to determine what happens next. So when you're operating in the world as a nation, the same thing applies. All right. Every action has a reaction, and that is a universal truth. So you started getting interested in this liberty stuff. You know, Peter Schiff sent you down the rabbit hole. It's interesting you say that because, you know, there are a lot of people, and I might be one of them too, that will harp on the principles of liberty, the ideas of liberty. That's what we focus on at our website, Lines of Liberty. But, you know, people will try to dismiss anyone that's maybe not a pure libertarian, and I think a lot of people could easily say that Peter Schiff is not a pure libertarian in that sense. But there are many ways that people can start to get interested in these ideas. And if maybe hearing Peter Schiff talk about finance and free markets from that angle brings people in, well, then that's great. And then other people might hear a fiery anti-war speech from, you know, Justin Raimondo, and they might bring him in that way. So I think it's important to, yeah, sure, have your principles and talk about them. That's what I focus on. But it's important to find people, and this is exactly what I think you guys do at Blue Republican, find people that agree with us from all ends of the spectrum and try to bring them into this fold. And obviously that's how you got in here too. 
Yeah, it's all about finding common ground. Like, if you want to take someone on a journey, whether that's kind of emotional or political or whatever, you have to start from where they are. Like, you have to meet them where they are. You have to find that common ground, and then you can take them from there to wherever you want them to go intellectually. Um, the reason that video by Peter Schiff struck me was he was able to talk about the prediction that he'd made about the collapse, the economic collapse that we've had, and the reasons for it. He did it from first principles. And as someone who'd never really been interested in economics, I guess like everybody else, just thought, well, all of these things that happen in the economy are more or less random and everybody's guess is as good as everybody else's. And I heard this guy, you know, maybe that isn't the case. I mean, I'm a scientist by training, right? And, you know, Schiff was able to, as it were, lay out the axioms and make the prediction. And of course, that's what scientists like. They like systems that, theories, as it were, that can make predictions. So the fact that here was a very specific economic prediction that someone had made complete with, you know, he'd kind of shown his working, as it were. I found that very compelling. And in this video, he just mentioned Austrian economics, and I'd never heard of that. So I just started to look that up. And actually, I have a friend who had been a libertarian for a long time, and he'd mentioned it to me, and I hadn't been in the slightest bit interested. But after listening to Schiff and reading about Austrian economics and seeing mention of libertarianism in reading Austrian economics, I sent my friend an email, and I said, all right, Glenn, you know, what do I need to read? I'm kind of interested in this libertarian thing you've been banging on about for years. You know, and he gave me the obvious ones. You know, he, he gave me some Bastiat and some Hayek and all of that. And then within a couple of days, I was like, yeah, this makes sense. <laughs> a few years ago, you wrote the article, If You Love Peace, Become a Blue Republican Just for a Year. And this reaching out to the progressive wing or maybe coming from the progressive wing in a sense and trying to say, hey, you know, there are certain ideas here that we share and we hold them as deeply important. And on the issues of war and peace, it's time to come together because there's one guy, this old guy, Ron Paul, who, mm-hmm. despite what you might think about him, really encompasses this issue. I think that was a really great way. You didn't try to harp on the entire libertarian worldview. You didn't try to change the Huffington Post audience overnight or anything like that, which I think is something a lot of libertarians tend to do sometimes. Again, myself included, I self-criticize where someone might get into a conversation with us, ask us a question, maybe say, you know... um, What's your opinion on legalizing marijuana? And you come out with them with, you know, and the state, anarcho-capitalism, and the whole deal. So I think that article was a really great way to reach out to people. And it obviously had an effect because I don't know if you intended to coin the term at the time, but that's how the Blue Republican term was coined. So can you tell us a little bit more about that article? And I guess when did you realize it had sort of gone viral and that the phrase Blue Republican had gone viral as well? Well, you know, within a day, and I need to thank two people especially, Israel Anderson, who was the first person. He runs Ron Paul Flicks, and he mentioned on a comment in the article that he thought it had legs, and I contacted him. And then there was another gentleman, and he helped set up the Facebook group and kind of do all of that stuff. I think the article came out on like a Thursday or Friday, and then by the following Monday, there was this Blue Republican Facebook group, again, thanks to Israel, with thousands of members. And the other guy was Zach Carter. Oh, yeah. You can't and go anywhere in the liberty movement without running into Zach. <laughs> I know, right? He's a liberty machine. He's yeah. awesome. And he helped push this idea into the media. It turned out that we both lived in Seattle. So he read the article. He said he found it very powerful. And you know, it spoke to his liberal father. And he thought this was exactly the way we needed to be kind of selling libertarianism. And so you know, we met. He came over to my apartment and we had tea on my balcony. And it was all very nice. He said, right, I want to help 
get this into the media. And that year I did 50 to 60 interviews, uh, TV, radio, podcasts, all stuff like that. So it really took off very fast. And yeah, Blue Republican. I mean, the thing was, it's a travesty, actually. It was a kind of a travesty that some outsider who was actually new to the liberty movement could write an article that spoke to, let's call them the soft left, in such a powerful way. It's a travesty because if the libertarian movement had been doing its job, that niche wouldn't have been left to fill. It would have been filled. Those people would have already been spoken to. But it turns out that, you know, it takes just takes a bit of humility to make the effort to speak to someone who disagrees with you in their own language, right? To try and think yourself into where they're at. And that's kind of what I tried to do in that article. And I didn't just mention the peace thing. I mentioned the triad. There was the peace thing. There was the crony corporatism thing. And there was the civil rights thing. I picked those three issues because many enthusiastic supporters of Obama the previous time around, because the article came out in 2011, right? So in 2008, when people voted for Obama, many of them were voting against Bush for those reasons. So my article wasn't saying, change your mind, become a libertarian. It was saying, stay exactly the liberal that you are and vote for Ron Paul, who's the only guy with a track record on these things, and get out of the partisan box. As America has gone increasingly off the rails, more and more people are open to an account of politics and to kind of political ideas that don't fit into those, you know, the donkey elephant boxes. It hit and it was really exciting. And, and like literally within a few days, you know, I realized, well, this is why I'm really in America. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. You know, I can talk to people about these ideas in a way that maybe reaches them more effectively. What's happened since then with Blue Republican? How has the Blue Republican organization expanded and, and what is its current role in politics? It's just kept growing. You know, I call it a non-dogmatic group for the liberty curious because we're trying to reach out. You know, we're trying to bridge the gap between those who are committed liberty folks and those who aren't, especially reaching, as it were, toward the left. I say that I used to be a liberal by default, right? So I know how to speak to people who are basically liberal by default, kind of educated, well-meaning. Sometimes I'd say that, you know, a liberal is just a libertarian who hasn't seen the data yet, you know. So um, it's a very kind of inclusive, positive organization. That's the flavor. So we're concentrating as much on the sales and marketing of the ideas as on the ideas themselves. Now, we've got chapters that have started up all around the country, Colorado, California, Tennessee, Houston, New Jersey, and they're popping up all around the place. And I really would love to cover the map of the United States with Blue Republican chapters. And I invite any of your listeners who might be interested in this to go to bluerepublican.org and submit an application if they would like to do something like that. And what I want to do is, especially in the blue states, but also everywhere else, help candidates who have that humility, who have that ability to communicate with, you know, let's say the unconverted to help them to change the minds of people who may not otherwise be exposed or even choose to be exposed to kind of the ideas of liberty. And in this way, actually make a difference to electoral races all across the country. Because I've got this brand, right? Blue Republican is effectively a political franchise. I write articles. Everything that I do reinforces what the Blue Republican brand is. But I can't leverage it in races you know, from school board up to governor all over the country, because I live in Seattle. I mean, I don't even know about Seattle's politics, right? So other volunteers are coming forward to use this brand to make a difference where they are, which might mean supporting candidates, 
It might mean running certain kinds of events, supporting certain local issues in their communities, whatever. But as long as it's at one with what we stand for, or what Blue Republican stands for, then, you know, I want people out there to be using the brand to promote liberty at whatever level. It sounds like a very decentralized organization. You don't deliver sort of top-down edicts about who they should endorse or anything like that. Absolutely. I'm actually quite inspired by the growth of Students for Liberty. I mean, Students for Liberty was, you know, was one guy at a campus just six or seven years ago in Pennsylvania. And he sets up his Students for Liberty uh, club in his university. And, you know, and then people find out about this all across the country now, all across the world. And they're setting up Students for Liberty chapters, you know, in their countries or, or campuses or whatever. And just let the brand He's put it in the hands of good people, and it's growing, and it's having a huge impact. I'm very impressed by that. It makes sense that if you want to spread liberty, you do it by giving people freedom to spread liberty, right? So, yeah, you're right. I'm not about the top-down thing. I'm not interested in micromanaging. My job is to keep pure what we stand for, to keep it civil, to keep the philosophy right, and to keep the approach right. People who are excited enough to kind of offer themselves as volunteers to help grow this movement they get what I'm about. So, you know, I haven't had any problems yet. And, and frankly, I'm not really expecting to have any. What are the biggest obstacles that you see in selling, I guess, the ideas of liberty to people in general? More specifically, I guess, to the left, because it's an interesting term you mentioned earlier, the soft left. And, and I think you hit on something there, because a lot of people hold leftist views. They want health care for everybody. They, they want people to get access to education. They want the poor to, you know, be taken care of and be fed and all of that. And I think libertarians have the same ideals. So we're not necessarily trying to change, you know, what people want. What we're trying to show them is that there's another path. And, you know, it seems that there's a lot on the left that hold those ideals. But they haven't necessarily thought it through. You know, they don't have a strong philosophical backing for it. It's just kind of what they want. And, you know, myself, I come from a small government Republican household, but I've lived in California for the past decade, and I probably have a lot more in common with the left on many issues than, you know, what's more commonly associated with the right. So what do you think are the biggest roadblocks to that a lot of libertarians run into? Um, I think there's a lot of libertarian arrogance in the form of purism. You know, you get into a discussion about a certain thing, and then you end up trying to sell the whole worldview. No major political change towards liberty throughout history has happened that way. It's just never happened that way. Successful turns in the ratchet towards liberty. You can kind of go back through certain dates, you know, 1776, obviously, 1689, the British Bill of Rights, you know, the Magna Carta in 1215. Where you have these step changes in liberty, they happen not because a swathe of the population decides on a certain political ideology. Rather, the population reacts to something that they perceive to be an injustice. They perceive to be some kind of social or economic political outrage, some overreach of power. And we're certainly at a moment now where that's going on and we can harness that. Regardless of political ideology, there's a general sense that our society is riddled with crony corporatism and abuse of our civil rights. You know, I'm talking about Edward Snowden and all of the surveillance state and all that kind of thing. These things provide our common ground. Too many libertarians are concerned with proving their rightness at the cost of making the other guy wrong. It just doesn't work. No good salesman sells anything by making the customer wrong. So it comes back to this issue of common ground, of affirming the good intentions of those who we are trying to persuade, and frankly realizing that we don't have all the answers either. I mean, you know, I speak to a lot of libertarians, 
of which I'm one, who don't know everything about everything that they have a passion about. I mean, you can't, it's not humanly possible. So a little bit of humility goes a long way, and that means not having to look down on people who maybe haven't got as far along a certain path in their thinking as, you know, maybe we believe we have. There's this idea in the libertarian movement, of which I've encountered, and I encounter it all too much, that being principled equates to being pure. Everybody's in a kind of purity contest, you know, and we're not because it isn't about the destination because there are as many final destinations as there are minds, right? It's about agreeing broadly on the same direction. You know, there was a post on the Blue Republican Facebook recently calling people naive, actually putting people down at a personal level because they support Rand Paul and his effort to improve the liberty quotient in this country through the vehicle of the Republican Party. So, like, this guy's saying, anybody who does that is naive. Well, you know, that just divides our house against itself. Some people will see a clear path to doing it that way. Some people see a clear path to doing it absolutely not within the political duopoly, doing it through no party affiliation or perhaps through the Libertarian Party. I mean, I should say for the record that I have officially, and Blue Republican has officially endorsed candidates who are Libertarian candidates, who are Republican candidates, who are independent candidates, and even on one occasion, a Democratic candidate. It's no good being about principle above party if you still think in a partisan way. You know, your partisanship might not be towards an actual identifiable party, but it's a certain kind of mindset. It's a certain getting stuck in a philosophical orthodoxy. Uh, that doesn't help. That has never worked. So a little more humility and focusing on winning supporters rather than arguments. I know many libertarians who lose supporters by winning arguments. I bet you know what I'm talking about. Uh, absolutely. I think that's a really important distinction you make. Purism versus principle. Now, you can stick to principle. I mean, that's that's what I try to focus on. But we have to realize that everyone is kind of on a different path here. And, you know, everybody is going to learn your principles or come into some of your principles in a different way. I mean, if we all just rejected everyone that didn't agree with us, you know, Mark Clare in 2014 would think Mark Clare from 2005 was an idiot and shouldn't even be talked to. But right. you know, there are probably a lot of 2005 level Mark Clare people that may be capable of understanding these ideas. But if we push them away and say, oh, you're just stupid and naive and you don't know what you're talking about. Well, we're not going to get anywhere. We're just going to keep talking to ourselves. You know what? That's exactly right. And there is a very little known quote by Margaret Thatcher, which I discovered recently. And it kind of speaks to this. Now, Margaret Thatcher, it should be said, turned a bankrupt country on a massive slide towards socialism into once again a rich, more or less free market economy, right? She said, politics at its purest is philosophy in action. She didn't say that politics at its purest is philosophy at its purest. Yeah, I'm okay with us doing politics at its purest, but that isn't the same as philosophical purism. And I've written about it. I give you that quote from Thatcher because if, you know, she was actually playing the game. She was in there doing it. This is a woman with a track record of turning a country around from a slide into certainly economic tyranny. You know, she's done more for the liberty of millions than probably you or I have done, or indeed many of the people who put these purist screeds out there on Facebook or on their blog. The Libertarian Party's been around for 40 years, right? And has basically until now, largely failed to do anything. I understand that the duopoly has the thing stacked against it. I mean, it's it's a complete outrage, and it's not a, a level playing field. 
I think the young blood in the LP now are getting much more pragmatic. I'm much more optimistic about where the LP is going. But if you look at the LP here, 40 years old, that party, and then you look at UKIP in England, UKIP is the only party that anyone's ever heard of in England that actually uses the word libertarian in its hmm. platform, right, to describe itself. Small L libertarian. They only are 20 years old, this party. They now consistently poll about 15% of the vote. Now, how did they do that? What they didn't do is try and completely re-educate an entire society, an entirely new worldview. They didn't do that. What they did was they focused on one or maybe two issues that offend the basic common sense or sense of justice of a broad swathe of the population who feel alienated by the main political establishment. And that's it. You know, and if you can reach out on that common ground, you don't have to force the worldview down anyone's throat because when people meet you on that common ground and they realize you're kind of like them and you're not a bad guy, they'll ask you when they're ready to tell them more about your broader worldview. This is coming from a country that a lot of Americans would view as a much more socialist country, and yet you have a libertarian, I guess maybe libertarian-leaning party. I don't know if you'd call them libertarian per se, but that right. can consistently poll 10 to 15%. Whereas here in America, the land of the free, the home of the brave, the Libertarian Party can't even pull 1% half the time. So that's really interesting. And, you know, it's funny because you come from a country that technically has a monarch. You have the queen and everything. You know, it's more of a symbolic monarchy. The queen doesn't really exert any sort of power or anything. And you've written about this a little bit. You've compared the U.S. today to more of a functioning monarchy where you really do have one guy who commands everything from his proverbial throne and we just re-elect the king every four years. Can you describe that a little bit? Yeah, I think you're referring to my uh, recent article, uh, USA has a monarchy, let it have a glorious revolution. That's the one. Absolutely. I mean, let's be clear that the power exerted by the king, I mean president in the United States, is equivalent to the power of an English monarch no later than the 17th century. I mean, the last executive order written by anyone, the king, in the United Kingdom was King James. You have to go back to the 1680s, even a hundred years before even the founding of the United States. And I find it funny that you know, people talk about George III like he's some tyrant. George III wasn't a tyrant at all compared to what a lot of libertarians are quite happy to tolerate in the United States. Maybe I'm being unfair to libertarians, but certainly you know, most of America who believe this foundational myth tolerate in the way that their country is run today. You have the executive killing people without due process, right? We've had that, al-Waqi. Obviously, we've got the surveillance state that is implemented by agents of the executive and, you know, the representatives of the people, so-called, don't even know what's going on in many cases and the people themselves certainly don't know what's being done to them in their own name. None of this has been going on in England for hundreds of years, certainly not under the auspices of a monarch. I mean, we have our own problems in the UK now with a surveillance state, of course. But the British monarchy is much more libertarian than the American presidency, in the sense that everywhere you go, there is a monarchy. Monarchy doesn't mean absolute rule of one. It just means that one person has disproportionate power, has significantly more power than anyone else. That is true here, just as it is true in most societies. And that's okay if that person is constrained, is limited, and power is, in a sense, forcibly distributed downwards. The genius of the British monarchy is that you've acknowledged that, right? So we have the monarch with a capital M. It's mostly ceremonial, 
and we've taken all the political power away from the monarch. So the position of monarch is acknowledged and exists. It's filled. That role is filled by someone who has essentially no political power. And moreover, we separate the head of state from the head of any political party or ideology. So all of the trappings of the state cannot be harnessed in to promote a particular political philosophy, which is what you have to do if you want to be a dictator, if you want to be a tyrant, right? You always use the pomp and circumstance of the state, of the head of the state, in support of a certain political ideology. That is always decidedly anti-libertarian and indeed anti-democratic. So there is a kind of genius in the British monarchy with a capital M that makes it less of a monarchy with a small M than the American presidency. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Robin, one more thing I wanted to touch on. You're currently in the process of doing something. Some people might think, is it going against the trends? I recently read an article that last year there was a new high, almost 3,000 people that actually gave up their U.S. citizenship but your final stages of actually becoming a U.S. citizen. So can you explain why you decided to make that step and become a full-fledged U.S. citizen? Yeah, I mean, I wrote about this too in an article of why I am becoming American or something like that. Because it's a true expression of who I am is kind of the short answer. I feel that if I want to promote liberty on a global scale, I need to be in America doing it. I know it's a kitsch kind of thing to say. I know it sounds like a cliche, but this shining city on the hill thing still matters. I travel around the world. In the last few years, I've been to Kyrgyzstan, Poland, Slovakia, Brazil, various countries, giving lectures about liberty, um, the economics of liberty, the politics and philosophy of liberty. And I can tell you, it still matters what America does. It still matters that America is the crystallization of the thousand-year Anglo tradition of liberty. Because if we lose it here, we're kind of like the front of the pack, right? We're certainly symbolically the front of the pack for all of those people around the world that want to be free. And we still have the biggest economy. We still have the biggest military. And we still have a massive voice to popular culture, as it were, throughout the world. So... If we can move the dial here, if we can move normal here towards liberty, towards our founding principles, then by example, we do good for liberty around the world. I am passionate about that. I feel like it's my calling. And I want to, you know, as it were, join my personal narrative to the narrative of this nation. And I see the narrative of this nation, by the way, as actually being a thousand years into a tradition of liberty that started in 1014 in the country of my birth. So in a way, my movement from England to America is kind of following history. I feel like an American in spirit, and I feel like I can do good here. So, you know, I'm going to be a citizen of somewhere. I don't have to cease to be a citizen of Britain. That would be very hard to do. I happily admit that I'm not sure I would do it if I couldn't be a dual citizen. But I feel like an American patriot. So, you know, I'm just being true to my feeling, frankly. Well, Robin, I'm glad you're here, and I'm glad you're doing the work that you're doing, because I think you have a really unique ability to reach out to people of any political persuasion or maybe of no political persuasion. It's kind of a good sales tactic in a way, but it's not a deceptive one. It's just it's that sales tactic of asking people what they need, what they want, finding that out, and then showing them, hey, this is the answer. I already have the solution here for you. So I think you do an excellent job. With that, I really appreciate the work you're doing with Blue Republican. And I want to remind everybody, as I mentioned at the top of the show, you can hear Robin 
every single week on Mondays on Daily Paul Radio. He's filling the Monday 7 p.m. time slot, kind of bookending the week with the Lions of Liberty show, which airs every single Friday at 7 p.m. on Daily Paul Radio. So be sure to check Robin out there. And Robin, before we let you go, can you just let everybody know the best ways to keep in touch with you on social media and everything you got going on? And and feel free to promote anything else that you'd like to mention. All right. Thanks, Mark. Yeah. So you can follow me on Twitter at rkerner. That's R-K-O-R-N-E-R. You can follow Blue Republican itself at Blue Rep, B-L-U-E-R-E-P, facebook.com slash Blue Republican. The site of the organization is bluerepublican.org. Nearly all of my writing is in the archives at Huffington Post. Just do a search on my name, Robin Kerner, K-O-E-R-N-E-R. You can also find my writing at Ben Swan, Daily Pool, and other websites. Robin, thanks a lot. Thanks for coming on, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks a lot, Mark. I appreciate your time. Take care. Take care. Bye. See you. Bye. We will be back after a little break. Crimea overwhelmingly votes to leave Ukraine for Russia as 60,000 Russian troops are amassed on the border. So what does it mean for Americans? I'm Ben Swan with your Truth in Media Moment, brought to you in part by BenSwan.com. 95% of the vote on Sunday was in favor of Crimea breaking away from Ukraine and joining Russia, a desire that Russia's President Vladimir Putin says he will honor. Well, of course he will. Well, meanwhile, as we've been telling you, the United States, the EU, NATO, they're all opposing the vote, calling it illegitimate and illegal, and continuing to say that they will consider harsh sanctions against Russia. And while the West and Western media are all in a frenzy about Putin's invasion into Ukraine, there's a very important point here that media is missing. I'll tell you all about that when we come back. The destruction of constitutional liberties and endless foreign wars. The voice of the people silenced while lawmakers simply enrich themselves and the political class. I'm Ben Swan. Is it about left versus right? No, the real fight is liberty versus tyranny. At BenSwan.com, we are breaking the left-right paradigm. We know that the American two-party system is broken and that to restore American liberty means to restore your rights as an individual. At BenSwan.com, we cover stories the national media won't touch, from the National Defense Authorization Act to nullification, militarization of police, and crony capitalism. We are the face of new media. BenSwan.com, where humanity is greater than politics. The part of the story about Ukraine that Western media is missing, Vladimir Putin didn't just invade Ukraine. The harsh truth here, the push for independence in Ukraine that led to the ousting of President Viktor Yanukovych was paid for and backed by the West, the United States, Europe, and NATO. The goal was to push Ukraine to enter the EU. Look, I'm no lover of Russian politics, but this is about truth. The truth is the West, governments, and private individuals funded Ukrainian revolutions for years, including the Orange Revolution, which was funded in part by George Soros and the National Endowment for Democracy. This latest revolution that ousted Yanukovych was paid for by the U.S. government and in part by eBay founder Pierre Omidyar, who invested over $335,000 into a group called New Citizen to help create these uprisings. Obenyard contributed 35% of New Citizens funding. Another 56% came from USAID. Look, one reason Americans have such a hard time wrapping their heads around what's happening in Ukraine is because we ignore what the West, including our own government, is doing. The West helped to start the uprisings in Ukraine. The West funded those uprisings for years. And when the West helps to create regime change, which in turn creates a power vacuum, we're then shocked and angered that the Russians will take advantage of that vacuum. 
For stories that affect your liberty, you can find me online at benswan.com, where humanity is greater than politics. Do your kids want to meet the champion of the Constitution? What if there was an illustrated book that introduced libertarianism to youth through the story of Ron Paul's amazing life? What if this biography breaks down complex concepts like Austrian economic theory, the dangers of the Federal Reserve, blowback, and a non-interventionist foreign policy? What if I told you this book is real and available? What if I told you that school libraries accept donations? What if you donate a copy to your local school library and give hundreds of youth the opportunity to meet Ron Paul? What if you don't? Who will? Get your copy today at meetrompaul.com, also available on Amazon. As Ron Paul has said, there can be no revolution without a revolution in education. Visit meetrompaul.com. Keep the liberty movement moving. This is Ben Swan, and you're listening to the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Clare. All right, and thanks to our buddy Ben Swan for reminding everyone that you are indeed listening to the Lions of Liberty podcast. Ben is also doing great work, including his informative vignettes, which you can hear on this very show as well. You can check out my interview with Ben Swan from episode 23. So be sure to go check that out. The Lions of Liberty podcast archive over at lionsofliberty.com slash podcast. And on his website, benswan.com, he is also featuring the writing of the guy I just finished speaking with, Robin Kerner of the Blue Republican Movement. Now, Robin is really out there in the trenches battling for the ideas of liberty, both in the philosophical arena as well as the political arena. And there are important distinctions to be made here. You know, we strive to advance the ideas of liberty, and it's important to do that. Not just advance the ideas, but, you know, have this conversation where we determine just what those ideas should be. But that's not necessarily how you're going to get new people interested in the movement or, you know, get them talking about these ideas. A lot of people are so closed off, they are so locked into this two-party paradigm, and we have to find ways to reach some common ground with people and show them how some of the ideals that they already have can best be achieved through liberty. Besides advancing the ideas of liberty, there is legitimacy to political action. It's something that should not be ignored, even for those that have lost any sort of faith in the political system. And you know, after Ron Paul's campaigns and all the corruption we saw in the caucuses, uh, shady votes, you know, losing delegates, getting locked out, all this crazy stuff... You know, we still have to remember, it's it's understandable people could lose faith after that. I've certainly lost any kind of faith in, you know, maybe the Republican establishment. But we have to remember that the politics is what got a lot of us all into this. This is politics. Politics is the discussion of what government should be, of, you know, how collective violence should be used on other people. That is what we're talking about. And, you know, a lot of us did start. In the political arena, whether it's hearing Ron Paul in a political debate or just a political conversation with a friend, you know, and Blue Republican intends to go out and find more Ron Pauls, more people that can really communicate the ideas of liberty and to do so in a way that doesn't come across as partisan or dogmatic. Now, as Robin mentioned, they have endorsed everyone. They've endorsed libertarians, Republicans, independents, even a Democrat. What they look for are people that you know, share common ideals, share common principles. And it's a real model 
blue Republican, for how we can advance liberty through politics while still remaining true to principles. You know, you can remain true to your principles without trying to blow everyone's mind open with the full libertarian view in one fell swoop. Now, that's what we'll try to do over at our website, over at linesofliberty.com. But, you know, how do you get people there? How do you get people into this stuff in the first place? And you're not going to do it by just throwing, you know, the full libertarian agenda at them necessarily. You know, we have to remember we've all evolved in our views in some way. You know, some came from a Republican household like myself. A lot of other people, especially people that I know out here in California, come from, you know, a more progressive upbringing. You know, but the trick is really showing people that the ideals that they already hold, you know, inside themselves, that those ideals are best advanced by a more free society. And politics is not for everyone. I certainly don't fault anyone if they want to eschew politics and do their own thing, but we should all do what we feel we can do best. And I'm glad Robin is doing what he's doing, and we're going to continue to do what we're doing over at lionsofliberty.com, and that is to advance the ideas of Liberty Daily. We hope you'll join us. We hope you'll join the conversation. Find us on our social media. Yeah, that's right. It's plug time. Facebook.com slash Lions of Liberty. Hit us up on the Twitter. On the Twitter. At Lions of Liberty. Find us on Google Plus too. We're there. And we hope you'll keep finding us. Keep finding ways to communicate with others. And get this conversation going. Keep it going. And that's what we strive to do. We hope you'll come back. Please join us again next week for another episode of Lions of Liberty. And until then, guys, how many times I gotta tell ya? Live long and live free. Mark. Mark.